Please stand as we share God's word through Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. For some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. This is Aaron, and it's truly my privilege to get to share with you God's word this morning as we continue our way through our open book series, and we are into the gospel of Mark, the story of Jesus, and we're studying especially the healing and miracle stories of Jesus as Mark begins his story that eventually will lead to the cross and to the resurrection. But for now, it really centers on this question of, well, who is this person, Jesus? And Mark kind of makes this the worst-kept secret in all of Scripture. As over and over and over again, things happen that point to the special, unique identity of Jesus as the Messiah. And not just the Messiah in the form of a teacher or liberator, but specifically that Jesus is God in the flesh. This morning, we see that revealed in our text as Jesus does something kind of radical. He does work on the Sabbath. And Jesus kind of makes it clear why he feels the freedom to do this in Mark 2.28. He says, isn't the Messiah the Lord of the Sabbath? In other words, he says to the religious leaders who here are watching and waiting to see what he'll do on the Sabbath. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm God, is sort of what he's saying. And I can do what I want on God's day because it's my day because I'm God, right? Mark is kind of over and over again pointing us to this incredible reality that this Savior that we follow, this person of Jesus is truly God in human flesh. And so this morning, we have this interesting story happen where Jesus is at synagogue, which would have been his practice on the Sabbath day, the holy day set aside for worshiping God and for doing no work. And he sees a man there who has his hand withered. It's clenched up. It's tightened. And there's this kind of dramatic moment where Jesus's enemies, his opponents, wait to see what Jesus will do. And when Jesus is bold enough to do a miracle, a healing on the Sabbath, and the man's hand is released, this is actually what many scholars think got the Pharisees stirred up enough that they were willing to advocate for the killing of Jesus, which is kind of remarkable. And we might struggle to understand this a little bit today because our relationship with the Sabbath is mostly defined by the fact you can't get a chicken sandwich after church sometimes. <laughs> And you remember right when you get to the drive through and you're like, Christians, right? Uh, all you wanted was some chicken. But other than that, we tend not to take the Sabbath day especially seriously. You try to make it to church, but maybe you don't. You might do other work. You flip on the TV and somebody somewhere is doing work to make that possible. We, we have an incredible amount of freedom and liberty that we take on what we would consider the Sabbath day on Sunday. Uh, would have been the practice in Jesus' day that this would have been Saturday. And it comes from the practice of God. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that in six days God did his work and he put together all that is, was, and ever will be. And on the seventh day he rested. And then God himself commands his people 
It's one of the Ten Commandments. God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? So this was something that God did first, and then God commanded. And so we have this kind of challenging, interesting question before us, don't we? Anybody feeling a little squirming about your practice of the Sabbath? I I do too. Most Sundays, I've mentioned this a couple times now, it's like free advertising, I stop at Tim Hortons before I get to church to get fueled up with a uh, croissant and some coffee. And most Sundays I think to myself, man, these people don't get to go to church because they're working and I'm making them work in some way. And should I feel bad about this? And maybe you do too. And so to kind of get into this text this morning, I have three questions for us. In your notes today, instead of filling the blanks, I have three questions. And I want to encourage you to write down some answers to these questions because this really matters. God Sabbath, God commanded Sabbath, and we have to really wrestle with what we do with the Sabbath. And I think Jesus is going to reveal some things to us that can affect our following of Jesus and affect our practice of the Sabbath. The three questions are this. What's the purpose of the Sabbath? If I want to be obedient to God, do I have to keep the Sabbath? And does obeying God's law make me good? So first, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Well, I already said it was something God did first and then God commanded, but God also gives us lots of examples, illustrations, and further teaching throughout the Old Testament that help us understand the function of this law. Why did God give us this practice of the Sabbath? First, we see that it is a sign of the covenant. When it says in the, in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it doesn't just mean don't work. It's saying, remember that this is a sacred day, a day that points you back to the agreement between you, Israel, the Jewish people, the people of God, and God. It's a day of remembering the covenant, the covenant that throughout this open book series, we've seen Israel break over and over and over again, and God be so faithful to. And so the first thing that the, the, covenant, or the Sabbath does is it reminds us of the covenant. But it does more than that. It also cultivates a reliance on God. It reminds God's people that God is the provider. He's the one who will care for his people and make sure that they have enough. We see this over and over again in stories in the Old Testament, but I especially love the stories of the gathering of manna, where God himself, as the people are wandering in the desert after they've escaped from, Israel, from Egypt, they're wandering in the desert and God is providing bread from heaven. But he gives them clear instructions that he will provide enough, that they can gather enough so that on the Sabbath day they don't have to do work. And he tells them elsewhere in the scriptures that on six days they'll do their work, on the seventh day they rest. So six days they work the fields. On six days they work with the animals, they gather food, and they get ready all the things they need so that that seventh day, that Sabbath day, can be a holy day, a day of rest. Practicing the Sabbath was meant to cultivate reliance In God's people. It was to turn them away from believing that they must always be working, always be striving and toiling, that their lives and their quality of life depended on them. And it was to remind them that it was okay, in fact, it was necessary to stop all that striving, all that reliance on oneself, and to place faith instead on God. So it's about covenant and it's about reliance. But even it's still more than just those two things. We see a strong theme throughout the Old Testament of the Sabbath as important to restoration. We know that our bodies are restored when we sleep. You can feel the next day when you didn't sleep enough that your body's still kind of half dead from the day before and you limp through the day like a zombie. Rest restores us. But also, the people of God were not just commanded to rest on the seventh day. Every seventh year, they were commanded to let their fields rest. Still a practice that we know is effective for farming. They rotate crops now so that the fields can rest in different ways, but God was saying something that farmers today would tell you is wise, because God is smart, you know? But he was saying, let your fields rest on the seventh year. And yes, this would 
require them to trust that God would provide enough in six years to cover that seventh year, but it also would allow the soil to become rich again. It would allow things to grow naturally and freely. The Sabbath day is about repairing and restoration. So covenant, reliance, repair and restoration. But it's not just those three things. God also makes it really clear that the Sabbath day is about bringing the kind of justice that is critical to God's heart. When he says, you are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, he doesn't just say, those of you who are in control of your schedules, remember to take a day off. When you have lots of things you're working on and you're building your empire of wealth and your land, remember to take a day of rest. He also says, your servants have the day off on the seventh day of the servants' rest. Even the slaves in the Old Testament that would have been common have the day off. He even says, and I think this is kind of funny, the animals are to keep the Sabbath. Like, I don't know what sheep get up to normally, but on the seventh day, the sheep rested. I don't know how you get them. Hey, you can't chill out, sheep. You know, I don't know how that works. But even the animals got to rest because God was concerned. He was caring for all of those amongst the people who needed to rely on God, who needed rest and restoration and repair, not just those who were in power and in control. And if you were a servant in this day, if your master said, go here, go there, do this, do that, do this work, you had no choice. You had no option. It didn't matter how worn down you felt. It didn't matter whether you wanted to or not. You had to do what you were told. But on the Sabbath day, you were equal. On God's day, you got to rest like everybody else. And so the Sabbath was established to remember the covenant, to drive reliance, to bring restoration, to point to justice. And I think it's for this reason that Jesus so remarkably seems to go out of his way to mess with people's practice of the Sabbath in his day. Because Jesus entered into Israel at a time where the religious leaders and teachers had surrounded this practice of the Sabbath with so many extra and external laws and rules and regulations that what was supposed to be a day of rest and relying on God instead became such a burdensome, heavy day that people couldn't keep it. And they had to work so hard to not work. Isn't that remarkable? The way that the human spirit can take a day, a practice that was meant to say, this isn't about you and it's not about your effort, so kick your feet up and instead turn it into, this is about me and God. Look how good I was at Sabbathing today. Right? And there is something inside us, there's some little legalistic piece inside us that has that same instinct that can take the free gift of grace and faith and go, yeah, but how can I turn this into a to-do list? This is what Jesus encounters as he's walking the earth in Israel 2,000 years ago. This is the thing Jesus pushes back against as he heals this man with the withered hand in the synagogue, but not just here. In Mark 2, the disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. This is when Jesus claims, well, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and so they can do what they want when they're in my presence. In Luke 13, Jesus again heals in the synagogue on the Sabbath, but I especially love John 9. There's a story in John 9 that has always blown my mind, and I never understood why Jesus does what he does in this story until I started studying the Sabbath to get ready for today's message. Most of the time when Jesus heals people, you're going to see him do things like have a little conversation with them. Sometimes he'll even kind of argue with them. But when it comes to the moment of of healing, he's often just saying, go in peace, your faith has healed you. It's a verbal thing. And sometimes the healing even happens before Jesus hits the scene. And, and things will change or transform because of people's faith in Jesus. Only one time that I can think of does Jesus get real tactile with it. And that's in John chapter 9. 
there's a man there who's blind, and in John 9, Jesus sees this man, and he's going to heal him, and instead of saying to him, open your eyes, your faith has healed you, Jesus instead spits in the dirt, mixes together some mud with his spit and the dirt, then takes this spit mud and wipes it on this poor guy's face. And then he's like, go wash off the spit mud and you'll be able to see. And the guy goes and he wipes it off and he can see. And I mean, of course, he's got to be grateful. But imagine if you're that guy and then you're like back at the marketplace and you see Jesus just say to someone else, be healed. I'd be like, what? Where is the mud and the spit? Well, here's why. Here's what was happening there. Do you know what day Jesus does that healing in John 9? It was on the Sabbath day. And one of the many rules, in addition to how many steps you could take and how many times you could chew, one of the rules that the the religious leaders and teachers had established about the Sabbath was you could do some things to bring healing or help to someone, but you couldn't make medicine. And so what does Jesus do when he sees the man born blind, or he sees the blind man on the Sabbath day? He takes an extra step to make some medicine. And imagine him making eye contact with the Pharisees while he's doing it. And then wipes on the guy's face. The poor guy is an object lesson, but also gets some freedom and some some liberation. Jesus goes out of his way to point out the hypocrisy, the absurdity of the way that this legalism had twisted the Sabbath from something about covenant, reliance, rest, restoration, and justice, and turned it into yet another tool of religious oppression, shame, control, and human pride. And we should take a bit of warning from that. Because that same instinct is in all of our hearts. And we can see it in other people when we see them turn into Pharisees, can't we? But it happens to us too. And Jesus sort of stands with that man before the synagogue and the man's hand is shriveled up. And it's kind of like he's not only saying to the man, stretch out your hand. But I think the reason that Mark gives us such detail of this this, uh, healing and this stretching out of the hand, Jesus is inviting his followers and Mark is inviting his readers to experience the same release, the same freedom, the same extension of the way that we get our hands so tightly grasped around that thing which we think gives us identity, purpose, power, authority, or pride. And we can, just like the Pharisees, take our religion and turn it into this twisted thing, and we hold on to it so tightly, and Jesus has come to liberate us from that, to help us release our need for control over our lives, over our identities, over the way we define what it is to follow him even. And yet, my guess is, most of you don't struggle with the second question in the notes there. If I want to be obedient to God, do I have to keep the Sabbath? The answer to this, according to Jesus, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 2, is at least as it regards the keeping of the Sabbath in Jesus' day, the answer is no. You are not bound to keep one special day, You are not bound to not work on one day a week. You can feel okay about turning on the TV and watching football, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or driving through Tim Hortons on a Sunday morning. We are not bound by the law. Colossians 2, Paul says it really clearly. He says, don't let anyone shame you or keep you captive by their practice of the Sabbath or new moon festivals, these kinds of things. Maybe you've wrestled with that a little bit. Maybe at times you've felt guilty because you know you haven't been strictly keeping the Sabbath in this religious, legalistic kind of way. But I'm guessing most of us, we're not strictly, tightly grasping hold of the law of the Sabbath. In fact, I would guess that in American culture, shaped as it has been by Christian instincts for hundreds of years, we've taken the freedom that Jesus gave us from the law of the Sabbath, and we've run wild with it, haven't we? 
In fact, I would say that as so often is true, we've taken the freedom Jesus offered us from the, the law, the enslavement to the law of Sabbath, and we've run instead to a new slave master. And many of us instead are enslaved and trapped by the law of productivity, where we believe that still, just like the Pharisees believed that they had to be good enough, work hard enough, do enough so that they could be good and right and okay, we operate under those same assumptions, don't we? When you ask someone how they're doing, if they don't hit you with the quick fine, the next most socially acceptable thing to say is busy. And why is this? Because if I tell you how busy I am, how stressed I am, how hard I've been working, what I'm secretly telling you is how much I am worth, right? And so many of us, myself included, and I'm going to just go ahead and guess 98.9% of you, so many of us, especially in a community maybe like Upper Arlington, full of people who have been striving for the best for a long, long time, so many of us feel these feelings of shame and guilt when we slow down for a moment and sit down to rest. You can feel it when you're a host in someone's house and you're trying to have a conversation and they're running from room to room to room trying to get everything ready and it's like they can't allow themselves to stop, right? You feel it when you finally get a day off of work at the office and that just means it's finally time to take care of those gutters or the lawn or the car. You feel it when someone else is watching over the kids so now it's time to get the finances in order. Most of us walk around with a to-do list so long in the back of our heads that there is never a moment where we aren't either busy or feeling terribly ashamed that we aren't busier, right? Even when it comes to self-care, and young people in the room, I think this is especially difficult for you. When it comes to self-care, a term commonly used today, resting in a performative kind of way, it's turned into another kind of law, hasn't it? It's not enough just to have some vacation. You've got to do stuff on vacation. You've got to go places on vacation. You've got to have pictures to post to prove you went on vacation. You've got to have a PhD in chemistry so you can be keto now. And you've got to follow strict rules about when you can eat and how you can eat and when you go to the gym and how often you go to the gym and how long you're at the gym and what you do at the gym. On and on and on it goes. We even turn rest into a law, don't we? And all of it has the same heart that the Pharisees had. This performative thing that says if I do enough at work or I do enough for my family or I do enough for my friends or I do enough to care for my own body and to present this image of peace and self-care and tranquility, all of it is about the human heart's need to self-justify, to work hard enough, to do enough, to be good enough. And the thing that Jesus offered to the Pharisees is available to you and me this morning. Whether you've been clinging onto your life yourself and saying, I don't need all this religious nonsense. I'm good on my own. Friend, I, th- I think that's a clenched fist. Whether you're like, I-, I need my religion to have a lot more rules so I know what to do so I can feel like I've done this stuff. Friend, that's a clenched fist. Well, all this grace and Jesus stuff is fine, but tomorrow I've got to go to work and I've got to punch through that to-do list and I'm going to feel like garbage if I don't get it done. Friend, that is a clenched fist. And the freedom that Jesus offers you and me and the Pharisees and the man with the crippled hand is the freedom of an unclenched fist. It's the answer to question three. Does obeying God's law make me good? No. Neither does obeying the law of productivity. Neither does obeying the law of self-care. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that it tells us you are not good. I am not good, and nothing we do will be good enough. Not just for God. It's not just he has impossibly high standards. When we're honest with ourselves, we know we'll never be good enough for us. We'll never be good enough for the people who tell us we're not good enough. 
We'll never be good enough for the dreams, the hopes, the vision we have of our future and its perfection. We'll never be good enough. The gospel tells us you are not good enough. But that Jesus came into this world to be good enough, indeed to be perfect, to offer himself up, to take on your not good enough, and to offer you in its place his perfection. Jesus doesn't give you goodness and righteousness that you got to run around keeping, you know, the plates spinning and keeping track of it. It's not yours. It's his. Jesus is good. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is good enough. And through faith, we enter into Jesus. We enter into his rest. And so Jesus doesn't just free you this morning from the law of Sabbath. He frees you to truly Sabbath. He frees you to find rest in him that will only be found through really believing in your mind and in your heart that the most important thing about you was accomplished not at work, not at home, but 2,000 years ago on a cross. And when we know and we trust that that is what makes us who we are, that is what makes us okay in the eyes of God, then we are free to truly rest, to rest our bodies without shame over not doing enough or being enough, to rest our minds and our hearts without shame over not following God's law carefully enough, and to enjoy the goodness of a law like the Sabbath. The answer to your third question I want to encourage you with is, does obeying God's law make me good? No, it doesn't make you good, but it is good for you. When you've experienced this liberation and freedom, then there's such richness to be found in obedience to Jesus. Not because it makes you good, but because it's good for you. Because he wants to give you the gift of life and life to the full, according to John chapter 10. And Jesus says it this way, and I'll end with this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when asked by the Pharisees about this question of the Sabbath and his disciples' freedom and liberty with their practice of it, Jesus says this, Mankind, you weren't created for the Sabbath. You weren't created for the law. You don't exist to try to keep it. The Sabbath was created for you. It is a gift, Jesus says. So this week, enter into the gift of that rest. Enjoy the good things God has given you. Set aside some time to just be with the people God has placed in your life. Take a moment to just savor a good meal full of the food that God's earth provided for you. Look out the window if it's anything other than gray and disgusting and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Let yourself, for goodness sake, take a nap and don't set an alarm and don't let your family shame you about how long it goes. Students in the room, Give yourself a break from your schoolwork, but also from your phone. Stop the need to performatively keep up with the social spinnings around you and let yourself rest. But don't embrace these things I'm saying as a law. Aaron said I got to do this stuff, so let me make the list and go check it all. No, friends. The Sabbath was created for you. Let Jesus free you from believing that it's up to you. Place your faith and your belief in him and his goodness and then enjoy the beauty, the grace, the gift of his rest. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do not give us a covenant that rests on our ability. For we would fail along with Israel. Thank you instead for this incredible gift, the covenant of grace and of mercy through faith. I pray, God, that even as this service wraps up, that you would unclench fists in this room this morning, that you would free hearts that have believed lies about 
what makes us okay. Even believed lies about how much we can care for, take care of, and direct ourselves. God, I pray that through your spirit you would give the gift of real faith, faith to place our trust in you and you alone through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that lives would be transformed through your spirit, that we would be freed, liberated, that we would enter this week into real rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.